You're listening to Giro Vagando, the cycling podcast at the 2021 Giro d'Italia, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Today we are in Alpe di Mera. Well, Brian Nygaard, where are we? Well, Richard, we're lost because Daniel is not here. Oh, this for is the nervous, today. nervous times. We, we bid farewell to Daniel today at the train station. Uh, very emotional, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely on a, on, at our end of it. <laughs> we're, at the, um, we're at the splendid western shores of uh, Lago Maggiore. And we are sitting within eyesight of, I guess, the, your first choice as the guest at the podcast. Yes, I mean, what an incredible coincidence. Um, he'd been lined up as your, uh, well, as, as Daniel's replacement, uh, or, sorry, he'd been lined up as Francois Thomaso's replacement, because Francois exactly. was supposed to be with us, of course. Patrick Lefebvre. This is uh, at least the second time we've been podcasting in his vicinity, but he's sitting over there in the sunshine. They couldn't quick step our, in the hotel right beside us here, so we've chosen our spot pretty well, I think, because they were one of the stories of the day, weren't they? Absolutely. And you always know that if you're sitting at a restaurant or if you're checking into a hotel where you, out of the corner of your eyes, spot Patrick Lefebvre, you, you're probably in a nicer place. And, and especially here, he, he's very familiar with Lago Maggiore. When he took over the, the MAPE structure, I'm, I'm quite certain that the service course uh, was just around the corner from here. Well, he looks very comfortable over there, uh, uh, basking in the sunshine. He always looks quite comfortable. Um, but Brian, I mean, what, there was a time when you m- mixed in his circles as a, as a team boss, you know. And now look at you podcasting, podcasting your way around Italy. But can't you uh, can't you tell that I'm a I'm a happier person for it? <laughs> and I was just yeah, I was just thinking. I think with I guess they're doing okay. They had so far they haven't had a phenomenal. Giro. How the mighty are fallen. Yeah, but I, if I I guess if I walked over to Patrick now and say, hey Patrick, if if you were to decide, would you rather be the general manager of a vineyard in Northern California? Would you, would you be a team manager of an underperforming uh, <laughs> engagement with the Shots Giro? fired! Shots fired! That's dangerous talk when they can probably hear us. I mean, they're not. I don't think the riders are quite back yet. We'll certainly be hoping to hear from James Knox later today because, well, we saw uh, more of James today than we've probably seen of him the whole Giro at the front front of the race, at least. We have to um, begin tonight's podcast with uh, recognition, and I've been sent a couple of messages from our dear departed friend telling me that I have to mention this in the podcast tonight. But of course, Daniel's 18 picks for the stage each day. We've been, I've been tending to ignore those when he's done really well, but he did do, he called first, second, third, and fifth today. He got the order spot on, and he got 12 of the 18 not bad. Very impressive. And you could I argue can also that's quite easy at this point in a Grand Tour. But yeah, but still getting it that right wouldn't be easy for anyone. And and it was definitely not that he was just blasé about it. He, he was spending quite a lot of time when we first drove I'm hoping uh, to I'm drop ho- him off at the train station. Yeah. He was very focused on, on those 18. He was agonizing over it. I'm hoping he's going to carry on doing that uh, for the remaining two stages of the Giro. Only two stages left. Incredible. Always been the multitasker, our freebie. Yeah, well, let's hope so, because I'm certainly not in a position to pick 18 f- for each stage. Um, 
There was an air of sadness around the Giro today as well. Um, we lost the climb of the Motorone, um, which is very close to where we are now because, well, about three or four kilometres away from here, at the weekend there was a, an awful uh, cable car crash. Um, it killed 14 people. Um, only one survivor, a five-year-old boy whose parents, grandparents and younger brother were all killed. I mean, because we're here and... Um, the, you know, the, the route was altered, obviously. The riders all gave their prize money, uh, to, gave up their prize money from today's stage to go to a fund to help the, the bereaved families. Um, you know, reading about this today was really upsetting. I, I, it was, it's one of these stories that I'd maybe avoided reading about because of the details and, and the, the, the scale of the tragedy is so awful. Um, but, yeah, very, very, a very sad um, atmosphere around that, obviously, today and the Giro paid its respects really I suppose. Absolutely it, it leaves you just lost for words and I just think the gesture of the peloton, the the words today by race director Mauro Venue when he came in and put flowers uh, on the Motorona, I think that's that's the Giro has a big heart and this is a tragedy that goes beyond the bike race and, and I think it was a right decision not to go up on the climb today. Absolutely um, it is a stunning setting here isn't it Brian and we drove down the the hill that they they went up from the lakeside. Um, uh, sort of on the on the in the roadbook, it was a an uncategorized climb, but it was it was pretty well, it certainly steep. Certainly was a climb, and it was yeah, lots of lots of uh, hairpins on the way up. And um, at that point in the race, the six man breakaway was away. Our old friend Lucky Larry Warbass was in it, um, but the stage was 166 kilometers from uh, Abia Tegrasso. How's that pronunciation? Are you more forgiving than Daniel on this? Absolutely. I didn't flinch when you, when you, you said didn't, it. You almost didn't flinch. I mean, I saw a very... A flicker. There's the sun in my eyes. There's a flicker in your eyes when I said that. The Alpi di Mera. Um, first time the Giro's been there. Uh, and it definitely won't be the last. No, it was a great climb, wasn't it? Very tough. Uh, Egan Bernal had been to uh, recce it, and perhaps that paid off. I mean, it was very interesting the way he rode it, but we'll come to that later a real battle to get into the breakaway today it was a good hour before it did get away very quick start to the stage 53 kilometers covered in the first hour i mean we've heard from larry warbass how hard he's been trying to get into breakaways and um you know the team is a hashtag hashtag pray for larry and um, finally he made it today and it was a decent looking breakaway on the small side perhaps mark christian was there as well giovanni aliotti and uh, nicola uh, venturuti uh, Andrea uh, Pascalon from Antimarche and Quentin Hermans was there as well um, a good climber it was a reasonably strong breakaway but they never got uh, too far up the road and uh, a big reason for that was that two teams the Koenig Quickstep and Bike Exchange were really committed today to bringing it back to allow their top two riders Joao Almeida and Sam Yates to battle out for the stage win um, and we saw the sense of that in the end. Well, let's hear from Larry Warbass now, shall we, about his day in the breakaway. Yeah, I mean, we thought today uh, it might not be the day, uh, but we knew we had to try for the breakaway anyway. And, like, for me, I've, uh, I've been trying every day, so I was really happy to get in finally. It was a big fight. It took, I think, 55K before the breakaway finally went. And, uh, yeah, I was really happy to be in, and everyone rode really well. Everyone, like, uh, was working hard, and, you know, we, we really tried our best to stay out front. But, uh, you know, with a motivated bike exchange and quick step behind, uh, there was 
wasn't really a whole lot we could do with only six guys. So we gave it our all. But, uh, yeah, we needed probably two, three minutes more at the bottom of the climb if we wanted to try to win the stage. So that's disappointing, but uh, tomorrow's another day. I mean, you could see already at the depart, they were, uh, you know, lined up behind the car to control the race. They were following all the moves. They didn't want anything too big going away. You know, I think uh, neither of them have won a stage yet. And so with uh, two of the strongest guys in the race and maybe noticing the other day that Bernal had a jour sans, uh, you know, I think they were looking for blood. I don't even know what happened up front, but uh, but yeah. So uh, I wasn't surprised. Well, that was Larry Warbass. Um, he and the others were caught. Uh, Mark Christian, the last survivor, as they began the climb up to the finish the rate it was a funny stage in a way today because it was a, a day that we'd been anticipating looking forward to thinking it was a really key stage in the Giro especially after Bernal cracked a couple of days ago and struggled we were thinking when is he going to be put under pressure here it all came down to that final climb 10 kilometers long really steep in places and getting steeper as they went up um, James Knox as I said earlier was very visible on the front of the that group shredded it really it was down to 25 30 riders by the time he swung off and more or less as soon as he did his team leader almeida attacked you know one of the the really informed riders in this final week almeida attacked um went up the road and uh, bernal just didn't react at all now almeida's far enough down overall to not be a concern but then so the others seemed to take encouragement from bernal's lack of response and uh, we saw simon yates bridge across george bennett went up to uh, and then Damiano Caruso, the rider in second, who had been just shadowing Bernal, and we didn't think had ambitions beyond finishing on the podium, but he uh, he sought to distance Bernal when he spied an opportunity. Bernal with Danny Martinez, who earlier in the stage had found himself on the wrong end of a split and had to chase quite hard with a few teammates to get back home with about 70 kilometres remaining. Um, Danny Martinez, well, Jonathan Castroviejo originally, initially, set the pace for Bernal, then Martinez took over. And Martinez really kind of turned the screw a bit. They caught Almeida and others, but by now uh, Simon Yates had attacked on his own. And he immediately got 30 seconds, uh, a little bit more than that, um, but he was pegged back by Martinez. Um, and Martinez did a fantastic job again for Bernal. Bernal didn't really look in difficulty, but he didn't look super comfortable either. Very, very hard to read his performance, and we'll talk about that, obviously, in the next part of the podcast. But at the finish, um, it was uh, Yates took the victory, clawed back a little bit of time to really cement his third place on GC with a chance. I mean, he's now only 20 seconds or so behind Caruso. Got a real chance of at least overhauling him tomorrow on a very tough stage. Bernal, you know, at the end of it, has actually increased his lead ever so slightly. Um, so we've got Bernal in pink, Caruso at 2.29, Yates at 2.49, and then there's a big gap to the others. Um, on the stage, Yates took the win. Almeida, very impressive Almeida, who had been with Bernal at the latter stages of the climb, then dropped him and finished just 11 seconds down the end. So I suspect this team here uh, will be quite disappointed not to have taken the stage when he came so close. Bernal, 28 seconds down on Yates. Caruso was fourth. Just behind him, then Vlasov, Dan Martin, Danny Martinez, Peter Sagan, who we learned after we'd recorded last night's podcast, was fined yesterday for improper conduct towards his fellow riders. I watched the footage of yesterday's stage again of, of the moment when 
the brake had gone and his team, Bora Hansgrove, were trying to stop other riders getting away. And you could see um, Sagan in particular remonstrating with some Quebec Assos riders, some FTG riders were keen to get up the road as well. So I don't know if it relates to that, but uh, he was in trouble for, for that. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later on. In the King of the Mountains jersey, Jeffrey Bouchard had a tough day, uh, but he retains that jersey and has a reasonable chance now of holding it all the way to Milan. Still guessing on fueling, not sure what or when to eat and drink, on rides that matter, never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. The Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens. Thank you very much indeed to our title sponsor, Super Sapiens, who came on board with us just before the Giro, and we've been learning a lot about how Super Sapiens works. I'm looking forward to getting my devices when I um, get home on Monday. Uh, they've been delivered to my house in France, so really looking forward to getting to grips with it myself. Uh, Super Sapiens is a continuous glucose monitoring system that helps you make the right fueling choices. Over time, the user can learn how best to manage their energy resources. It takes a guesswork out of when and what to eat. It works with the Abbott Libra Sense Glucose Sport Biosensor, which sticks to the back of the upper arm. A thin filament is inserted just under the skin to accurately measure glucose levels. That then sends real-time glucose data to the Super Sapiens app. Um, there are teams using it here, Jumbo Visma, almost a jumbo, Jumbo Visma and Ineos Grenadiers and Canyon Sram from the Women's World Tour, uh, they use it too. Um, we've been running a competition with Super Sapiens, you can win three months worth of Super Sapiens if you send us in an audio clip uh, or a video clip of less than a minute telling us how and why you would use Super Sapiens to help you achieve your cycling goal. We've been getting lots of entries. Uh, the competition will close on Sunday and we'll announce the winners hopefully next week. Um, it's going to be quite a challenge to do that, but we're going to try and do that. Um, let's hear from another entrant tonight. A really interesting one again. Uh, Matt Pravitt entering his friend, Dr. Carl McPherson. I'm entering this for my dear friend, Carl. Carl is a consultant in obstetric medicine at the Sundon Royal Hospital he has a personal and also professional interest in early fetal death and miscarriage. In the past, he's raised money for the Tommy's charity. He's also a great convincer, and he has convinced a group of us to undertake a multi-sport challenge in July of this year, traversing the West Highland Way. This will involve running, hiking, swimming and cycling. Carl will undertake all four disciplines. I've previously done challenges with Carl, and he is a notorious underfueler and bonks regularly. This also affects his ability to train. The Super Sapien device will be brilliant in helping him fuel adequately for his training and also for this event so he can raise money furthermore for the Tommy's charity. Well, for details of how to enter our competition to win three months of Super Sapiens, go to thecyclingpodcast.com and for more information on Super Sapiens, go to supersapiens.com. Brian, uh a really engrossing stage today um, and we heard from Larry Warbass in the last part about you know just how obvious it was that the Koenig Quickstep and Bike Exchange were on a mission today to try and win the stage primarily um, but in the case of Simon Yates and Bike Exchange with 
the outside possibility of gaining time on GC, particularly if Bernal uh, cracked as he did the other day. Um, Yates went and won the stage very impressively. What did we learn about Bernal? It was sort of inconclusive, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And I think it will continue to be so uh, going into the time trial. He's definitely on the downwards trajectory. And it's it's the perfect alliance, really. You know, it, it's a good example of that when competitors like Almeida and Simon Yates, they actually have common interests on t- up to a certain point. And it's just at current, it's the slaughtering of Bernal and trying to put pressure on him. And neither of them have great teams isolated, but if they put the resources together, they actually have a serious weapon against uh, Bernal and Ineos, and that's what we saw today. And it's just, I think it's it's a question of strategy at this point, and I, I, I don't know if Matt White and Bramati, the two sports directors, if they're actually going to have a conversation about it, or it will be too obvious on the road what they want to do, because it's going to be key if they want to turn the tables, especially for Simon, uh, Simon Yates, during this Giro, if they can actually put the resources together tomorrow. I mean, today there was an opportunity missed in a way. If if Almeida had had the legs to go with Yates, they could have done perhaps more damage to Bernal because, you know, Almeida clearly was going for the stage one and he ended up with uh, Bernal. For a lot of the climb, he looked in agony just holding on to Bernal's wheel. Then he started coming through and then he dropped Bernal. And again, a little... A little sign of weakness in, in Bernal no, nothing, not as convincing as the other day, what struck me watching him ride, especially as those riders went up the road, including Caruso, was just how carefully he was managing his effort, and that is obviously yeah, but he, he did actually make a mistake that he admitted straight after the finish line and that was actually trying to follow Simon Yates and he, he said after the stage that that's... You mean the other day? No, today Oh, today. So that probably was a, him trying to close that gap was one of the reasons why he, he had to fall back later on and then lost a bit of time. I mean, Sammy Yates, other than winning the stage, his big, advan- his big win today was taking that time into Caruso to try and actually take the next step up the podium. But um, what was interesting was just how, how carefully he was managing his resources, which is on the one hand sensible, but on the other hand, it does raise questions about why he's doing that, because... He was so dominant in the first two and a half weeks. And as you say, the signs are that he's not quite the same, that, 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 you know, that, that, that something is affecting him. Lots of speculation about whether it's his back injury um, or just fatigue after yeah, two I, and a half weeks of racing. I think it's, uh, it's very interesting because this happened almost overnight from the stage where he, you know, where he won and he took all that time out of, of Eminem Paul and, and everyone else basically, the shortened stage. And I think... No one was expecting to see see him on on, on the other side of, of of that trajectory, and it just goes to show. And I think I mentioned this the other night as well, like the importance of when you had the legs in the Grand Tour, regardless of when you wanna uh, try and win the race. And it's not always in the last week that the race is won. In Bernal's case, if he ends up winning this, which is certainly, in my opinion, still looks like, he is now f- he's now feeding off what he gained in the first part of the race. And that's extremely important. And, and, and they, it's obvious that he's not in the shape that he was coming into this race initially. And he's trying to defend himself now. So he's, he's, his approach to race is the opposite. It's like managed decline, isn't it? Exactly. I, I, we're not, you know, in 2018, we've talked about it a lot. Uh, Simon Yates's collapse was, was spectacular. Bernal, there, there isn't really uh, any clear signs that we'll see anything similar from him. There was probably just enough two days ago... Uh, to ring the alarm bells and to encourage them to really ap- 
approach today's climb in a very different way and that's what it looked like. He used his team brilliantly. Um, and what a team it is. And what a team it is and he, and he, and he held on and, and he, you know, in the end, uh, increased his lead a little bit over Caruso. In, it was an interesting move by Caruso who was emboldened obviously by something and maybe he saw something in the way Bernal was riding if not today then two days ago to just, just try his luck. Um, I don't think he'll do that tomorrow. I think he'll ride quite defensively and conservative, conservatively tomorrow. We'll talk about Simon Yates in a moment, but let's hear from his sports director, Matt White, who I phoned just after the finish. A great day. I mean, you put a lot into today, didn't you? And you must have been pleased with the way it finished off. Yeah, always, always. But when you got the commitment from the whole team around a goal like that and your leader can pull it off in, in a way like that, is, it's... Uh, now, that doesn't happen very often in Grand Tour stages, and uh, very proud of how the boys rode. How much um, was it was it planned from the point of view of where he would go? And obviously, stage win it was a, was a great reward. But um, were you happy also with the time he gained? Was that a, f- a thing you were thinking about as well? Yeah, definitely. We did, we definitely wanted to put uh, Caruso under pressure and see see how Bernal reacted second time, but. Uh, Exactly where that was that was all from Simon's feel. We know we wanted a fast fast bottom uh, slopes, and then uh, when Almeida went, he uh, rode very smart there. Let him get out there, went across to him, and then he, after that, he just wanted information at where his rivals were, how much time he was gaining, and we wanted a hard stage. We didn't want an easy stage and just a hard climb. That's why we wanted. To, that's why we let that. We didn't get that break blow, blow out, and we wanted to win the stage and make sure of it. And uh, the team did a great job, and then Simon. Incredible ride on the on the final climb, and those sort of gradients suit him, and especially when he's uh, his his form is still building, you know. And what was your assessment of Bernal? It was fascinating to watch the way that he rode today. What what were your impressions? You know, I think he rode smart. He rode calculative. Uh, he didn't panic. At the end of the day, he knows he's only got to ride a certain amount of watts, not to lose too much time, and he's got a lot of time up his sleeve. So. Uh, he rode smart, he used his teammates, and I dare say he'll be doing the same thing tomorrow. He doesn't seem to have the same sparkle that he had in the first couple of weeks. Is that your impression too? Oh, yeah. Well, he, he shouldn't have, the way he rode those first couple of weeks. He uh, was riding aggressively in every single stage final. Um, and yeah, he's just, he's still going well, and he's still in pole position to win the race. So uh, the pressure's on them on Ineos tomorrow what, what's, what should we expect tomorrow then I mean Simon said afterwards on Italian telly that he would be prepared to almost gamble everything to try and win because he's clearly he's clearly on an upward path and it looks as if Bernal might be on a very gradually descending sort of trajectory um, what are your thoughts about tomorrow well we'll, we'll have a good chat when we uh, get to the hotel and come up with a plan for tomorrow but uh, we're just enjoying the win at the moment and we know we've got one big day tomorrow, tomorrow. So Matt White, I think being quite cagey about tomorrow, um, really happy to win the stage today, but not really uh, committing to dynamiting the race tomorrow in an effort to win the Giro. Um, because I don't think the signs are conclusive enough that Bernal is vulnerable enough to, to do that. Well, an interesting aspect to that is, and, and, and I'm certain that it's Whitey calling the shots however way they're going to they're gonna fire them, but after the stage today in Italian TV, they asked they, they asked Simon whether he wanted to try and gain more time to make sure he would be second or if he wanted to win the Giro. And he said, and that w- was confirmed by Brent Copeland, that he wanted to win the, the Giro. And in order to do that, it's, it's going to change how early they're going to put pressure on the race tomorrow because it's a very different mountain stage tomorrow than it was today. 
it's a difficult finish but not as difficult but the cumulative hardness of the stage tomorrow means that they have to try early and there are three three big climbs tomorrow all in the sort of second half of the stage and no real valley roads between them so it is perfect for a, a, a kind of early uh, attack you know that well, there's the longest it's the longest uh, climb yeah, the it's, first climb is a brute, it's a yeah, potentially an yeah. hour and a half of climbing and you know on a climb like that even a, a rider with a strong a stronger team as Bernal has he could be isolated although it's it's uh, hard to imagine that Martinez would be distanced yeah, there yeah I mean Martinez is, is is climbing incredibly now and and his race intelligence is I think again and again really shows I think tomorrow it it will potentially be down to just banal on the last climb and it's not the longest climb but I think that the fatigue that he'll have and how they can sort of try and like cut off his legs early on will, will, will be the key factor tomorrow I'm kind of torn on this with something we've talked about a bit you know when we look at the riders who you were spoken about Caruso being would be happy with the podium and you know they're they're only other I mean Nibali and Yates have won other Grand Tours and you tend to think that those guys would be willing to risk it in order to try and win over just finishing on the podium on the other hand Yates has won the Vuelta he's never finished on the podium of a Grand Tour aside from that so he doesn't have this kind of glittering Pamares that, that Nibali has who, who who would in a similar situation you imagine just be prepared to gamble everything yeah. Sammy, you know Sammy Yates very well because you worked with him for a while is he this, the, the sort of character who at the moment would say I'll settle for second on the podium which is still within reach or risk that risk losing everything in order to try and win I think a lot will be decided in the race and they'll have to see how how much is left of Timinius at the top of the uh, San Bernardino you can have all kinds of ideas and plans, but you're riding. You're riding against other competitors. You're not. You're not riding to fulfill a strategy. And I think sometimes that gets a little bit lost in how we analyze races. That we sort of we think you can program an effort for a certain result, but it all depends on how the others are reacting, what type of legs they have. So they'll have to assess that situation under San Bernardino tomorrow, and then they'll also have to rely on, on the alliance between Bike Exchange and Quickstep because they will have to put their resources together for any of that to happen. The Cycling Podcast at the 2021 Giro d'Italia is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much indeed to Science in Sport, our longtime sponsor. If you want 25% off all your Science in Sport products go to scienceandsport.com and at the checkout enter the code SISCP25 that offer works um, when there isn't another bigger offer and I noticed a couple of days ago Science Sport were offering 30% off um, a lot of their stuff but uh, ordinarily that code SISCP25 will get you 25% off your Science and Sport products at scienceandsport.com and don't forget too that our competition um, is still running and there's still time to enter to predict Sunday's winner and to be in with a chance of winning an £80 uh, bundle of science and sport, sports nutrition products. A um, couple of things I forgot to mention in my tale of the tapa. A um, couple of uh, non-starters today. Victor Lafay, the stage winner from Cofidis from uh, a while ago in this uh, Giro, and who featured in our Kilometer Zero the other day, the stage winners. Uh, he unfortunately was a non-starter today. Also, uh, Jefferson Cepeda of... Um, Androni Giacattoli, another non-starter today. Gianluca Brambilla was a non-finisher, having crashed during the stage today. So, uh, 
forgot to mention those things. While I'm mentioning Kilometer Zero, our final Kilometer Zero, supported by Super Sapiens, was released today. Um, and it was called uh, Ghana Nazionale. And it was, uh, uh, well, it started as a, a, a bit of a study of uh, Filippo Ghana, the great hope of Italian cycling. Um, but it was taken down some alleyways by Victor Campenarts, who said, had some fascinating things about about time trialling in particular and how time trialling has changed and his quest to go faster on a time trial bike. So that's that's our final, ninth and final episode of Kilometre Zero from this Giro. And thanks very much to everybody who's uh, been giving us feedback on those episodes. It's been a lot of fun putting them together. Brian, we've spoken about Bernal and Yates. And the other story I suppose today is Almeida and Dekun and Quickstep. We better speak in hush yeah, voices. I was about to say. Um, because they're all sitting over there enjoying their drinks various drinks all the sports directors are there now and uh, yeah they're relaxing and um, by the shores of lake maggiore and it's a beautiful beautiful sight isn't it beautiful scene how big is this lake well it's the second biggest lake in italy lago di garda being the bigger one it's a very a vast and expensive lake and it, it covers the region of piemonte so we're in the western shore covers the region of piemonte it touches upon Lombardia as well, but it is also a part of the Lago Maggiore shore of Swiss. Oh, wow! Didn't know that. But well, we, we you are really very close to the Swiss What's that building over there that's really illuminated by the the sunshine? It's very grand looking. Whatever it is. Sorry to put you on the spot. No, I, I'm not familiar with. I'm very familiar with Lake Como, where we're going tomorrow, which we're I used, tomorrow, where I used yeah. to have a house. Well, I'll try. I'll test you tomorrow when we're at Lake Como. No problem. But the kind of quick step where the other. You know, very impressive team today. You know, they're obviously a few men down, but what resources they had left, they used very well today to help Almeida, who's really flying. There's been a lot of speculation about where he'd be overall if he hadn't um, been sort of sacrificed to help uh, Avonapol on a couple of stages. But actually... It, it keeps coming back to the Sestula stage where where he was completely off his yes, normal level. that's where the, 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 the die were cast for him, really. The, the time he lost, the most significant chunk of time was on the uh, the Montalcino stage. He lost a couple of minutes. Other than that, he, you know, there were days when he did work for Avonapol. But, yeah, I mean, he obviously a great ride today, but only moved up to, I think, seventh overall. He only gained one one place, and he's still far enough back that I don't think... Uh, but I, I would still say with, with Almeida, when given his age and given the the career he's, he's had at such a young age already, there's huge potential, and it's actually... Maybe it's also a little bit comforting for him that he's able to make this, these kinds of mistakes before, you know, potentially being in a leader's role in a different team. So, I mean, I can definitely see Almeida in, in a, in a, on a Tour de France podium or a Grand Tour podium uh, in the in in near future. He actually, he actually remained eighth overall um, today. <laughs> he, amazingly, after that performance, he didn't actually change. Uh, the, the gaps between the riders really from fourth onwards are pretty significant. So... Uh, he's unlikely to move up too much. He may, he may do tomorrow, but the podium looks out of reach. Nevertheless, I think he'll come out of this Giro with his stock higher, and I know I mean he'll be really gunning for a stage win tomorrow. I would imagine. Yeah, for sure, and it's also it's the last chance saloon really for for the neighbouring table here to to rectify a, 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 a rather. A imagine what they drink when they've when they've actually won something. I was actually just about to say and. and they're drinking 99 Dom Perignon, and it's actually not a fantastic vintage of Dom Perignon. If they Did were drinking 96, 
there's a way to go after the, a 99 I would say Shall we hear from someone who won't be drinking champagne our audio diarist James Knox of the Kuhn and Quick Step of course Hi everyone in Baveno on Lago di Maggiore tonight pretty close to the start tomorrow in Verbania I think it is. I think that's where we start and we go off into Swiss and maybe back into Italy. I'm not entirely sure, but we have some big climbs. Um, anyway, that's tomorrow, today. Today we were second. Obviously, yeah, you know, a bit of sweet, isn't it? I think we collectively did all we could. Gave it a good go. Took the race by the scruff of the neck. And yeah, I think we showed some balls. Um, obviously, bike exchange set the stall out early. You know, we had the same idea, some tricky descents and stuff, and then kept riding, trying to make it a hard race, trying to make, see if, uh, you know, it was sort of in our interest to bring the brake back, and it was in, a, in the interest of bike exchange to put some pressure on uh, Ineos, so collectively I think we did that. Um, it wasn't easy, there were some uh, pretty hard moments in the wheel. And then, yeah, my job was uh, keep your arm position for the final climb, and then, yeah, try and get him as far up the climb. To be honest, try and get him to that to the steeper section, which I think I was maybe a K before, to be honest. So maybe that's the only the only thing we could have done better because he tacked straight off my wheel, chapeau. Um, uh, I think he got a gap from there and then some guys came across and then Ineos set the pace behind and then it really exploded from what I understand. I don't actually know all the finer details. But... Uh, yeah, team performance was was great. Um, this is what it's all about, isn't it? Uh, always, always savor these days where you know collectively you feel like you make a difference. Um, I think it all everyone spurs each other on. It you know it starts with Elio being there in front, starting as a team riding. Everyone gets a little bit nervous, a little bit stressed. <laughs> Need to want to do the job, want to do the job well, oh, and then obviously Joao has a, the same pressure on him to you know give it a go um you know i've been in that situation i think you get a little bit a little bit more out of yourself when you're when you're in front when you see the the work the team's doing you want to make the most of it but hats off to simon yates today by all accounts he just had the more gas on the final climb so yeah can't argue with that still we go chasing for the stage win i don't think Joao has moved up in the classament, but I think he gets closer and closer to the top five. Uh, I'm not actually sure how far off he is. He must be still a little bit off, though, is like guys like Carthy and that. What else? What else? Yeah, beautiful scenery also. There was the deviation on the first climb because of the tragedy of the telecabin, cable car, however you want to call it, up uh, Monterone. Um, and I think we took a different road, sort of over the same hill. First time I've been to Lago Maggiore, I think. Um, don't think I've ever been here before. And we went around another lake, Lago di Lota, Lota, something. And yeah, and then and then the joke of the day was we finished up Alpe di Merda. Um, it was a hard climb. Yeah, it was a bit of discussion. Was it going to be harder than Sega de Alla? I don't think it was harder than Sega de Alla. That one was that one was pretty steep. That was yeah, pretty unforgiving, even if there was a few flat sections in there. But it was also pretty hard today. 
started off quite regular, quite steady, six, seven, eight percent. And then, yeah, by the time uh, I pulled off, it was getting harder and harder. And I was swinging the bike around, groveling to get up as slow as I could, save the legs for tomorrow. And yeah, yeah, you know, obviously a good day for me also. I mean, other than being in the breakaway and doing bits of jobs here and there, I haven't shown shown so much this Giro, but that was uh, that, that was more like it. Uh, I had to grit my teeth a bit. I had to sort of fight through it, but feel better for it now and obviously good for the confidence and everything. Especially, you know, lay out on the road tomorrow, see what happens, you know. Again, the whole team, Joao, we've got nothing to lose, so see if we can make a difference. And then it'll be a few beers on the bus on the way to Milan. And there's a nice little TT showdown, potentially on the cards. I'm not sure the exact positions, but currently in the GC pecking order, Seri is one place ahead of me. I'd love to turn that around before the final time trial. The last thing I've won is a teammate and a bit of a, a bit of a character chasing after me, knowing, knowing Peter will come after me full ball. So I've got about a three-minute deficit to turn around tomorrow, and I'm... I'm committed, I'm all in. We've been laughing, joking about it, and he keeps shrugging it off, but I'm, I'm pretty determined now. I could, should have gone harder, sat up too easy. I could have capitalised. There was a couple of Astana lads who put two minutes into me, and they came past me after K2 of the clients. That was a big howler. That was a massive howler, but I won't, I won't be that foolish tomorrow. I'll be flicking Seri. I'll make him do extra work, do it early. And I'll keep riding into line and try and do him for the GC. Chase after him on the... Maybe pay the team car to drop back and give me a little tow across. We'll see what happens. It could be fun, this. Richard, I think there's a situation right now over at the Lefebvre table, and they ordered a bottle of Dom Perignon, and I think it's corks. And I know that's something that you're very familiar with after we had, I think, a significant this is a big quality moment. rise in the, in the wine served during this Giro. And I think that is, yeah, it's a Dom Perignon. I can't tell the vintage from here. But they're definitely well, celebrate, not celebrating second place. Do you think? Maybe, he, maybe. Say, he says quite quietly. But they are. Do you think I should go and offer my assistance? I can. Yeah. I'm really good at detecting cork taint. Go on, go for it. Go on, Brian, and then report back. Patrick, do you need a second opinion from a winemaker? Yes, yes, because he thinks uh, it's all okay. Yes. Oh, by the way, because I smell nothing. Oh, I, 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 I smell everything. Yeah. Hang on. Yeah, Which vintage is this? No. There's uh, uh, a backyard. 2009. You know 2009. Well, Brian, um, I thought I'd lost you for the evening there. You almost did. You were <laughs> yeah, I heard uh, that was quite a while you were gone helping Patrick Lefebvre with his wine. What yeah. happened? There was a dispute of uh, they ordered a bottle of 1999 Dom which is a beautiful champagne, and they thought it was corked. So I. I asked if I could, and it was also just nice to say hello and catch up with Patrick, but I said, Do, can I be of any assistance? And so he called me in for a second opinion. And I think we identified the issue with being there was a, a, a little bit of residue of soap in his, uh, in his companion's glass, which made the champagne smell quite off. But in his glass, uh, there wasn't, and that was fine. So the wine wasn't corked. The issue was uh, one glass with some, a little bit of soap in it. So you gave it the nod? I gave it the nod, and the, everyone was happy, the, the, especially the people who were trying to sell them the bottle that had, they already had opened, so everything's fine. What, dare I ask, what was, what's the occasion, or is, it, is that just a normal Friday evening? In Patrick's case, I would think so, yeah. Or normal evening, I don't know. 
Um, interesting. Uh, do you glean any more information while you were over there? We were basically... For quite some time. I should say that Davide Bramati, the sports director, has now joined him. And Alessandro Tenier, who is one of my oldest friends in cycling, the press officer, who is now, I think, one of the, the managers of the team. Indeed. So what are they? What were they? What were you talking about? Can you tell me? We were talking about wine. We were talking about smoke tainted wine in South Africa. You know, Bacala, who owns or mm. used to, I think he owns the team. He also owns a very famous vineyard in South Africa. So Did he we talk were, about cycling at all? Not at all. We we're talking about smoke tain, and then after that, uh, my old and now former friend Alessandro told me I gained some weight after becoming a father. So. Did, um, no, no, that was the point where I left Richard and come back I, here. I, yeah, good. I'm glad. I thought I was going to be flying solo for the rest of this this podcast. Um, I thought the wine we had last night was corked. Yeah, the, the wine last night was uh, sort of a, a, a farewell salute to Freebie because it was from Emilio Pepe, where where you where you were staying and where you, I think, had a fantastic experience with wine. But it was very different because first we had a conventional traditionally made wine by Angelo Gaia um, and then we had this which is a, a biodynamic uh, f- very unsulfured a completely different type of wine and it, it has a bit of funk I would say it's usually that style of wine is not my preferred but I think there was a lot of good energy in that bottle and, and, and it was just a wonderful night wasn't it it was wonderful but, uh, but the wine it was, a, it was a great farewell to, to Daniele Fribrancini Frappuccino who's been a wonderful companion on the Giro this year. Um, I mean, he is every year, but his knowledge of Italy is unbelievable. The geography, he knows where everything is, where how everything connects up to everything Perfect else. pronunciation. Pronunciation's not bad. Um, God, he's got a very, um, very distinctive accent, I learned today. Um, he's got a very... Ver- well, he knows this himself. It's a, it's an ac- he's got a, a local accent where... Part his, of it, I would say. His, his fr- I don't think his French is kind of flawless in that he doesn't have a, a local accent. Um, but uh, that's enough about Daniel. Um, we, <laughs> uh, I, I'm not the man to be uh, to be talking about this, but we, of course, well, Daniel curated a six-bottle case of wine with Divine Cellars in Clapham in London. Um, our Giro collection uh, from uh, wine places, wine fa- factories... Wine factories, wineries. <laughs> from wineries along the route of this year's race. And uh, that's available from Divine Divine Cellars. And lots of you have been buying this uh, case of six wines. We'll do one for the Tour and the Vuelta as well. Um, but they're still available if you want to. Uh, well, you can go, click through from our web website, thecyclingpodcast.com, if you'd like a, a Giro case of wine. It might be the perfect come down after the Giro and drink your way around Italy once the Giro is finished. Brian, back on to cycling. Um we heard earlier from uh, James Knox, one of our audio diarists, and we had another audio diarist, of course, at the start of the Giro, Gino Mader of Bahrain Victorious, a stage winner who unfortunately was involved in a crash and had to pull out. He's back home in Switzerland, but he has finally, um, after several days of asking, sent us a final uh, dispatch of his audio diary. Uh, and I think you can hear how sad he is not to have been able to continue in the Giro. Gino here. I had to leave the Giro on stage 12 uh, due to a crash on stage 11 and absolutely no no power in the beginning of stage 12 being dropped and out of the race after only one hour um, written on stage 12 which which was a really hard blow to to my mental was really not a easy thing to leave a Giro like this um, to leave any race like this is a huge, 
huge disappointment, but especially a Chiro where, where I had to leave the team with only five guys. And uh, Damiano Caruso, who's going absolutely incredible strong and who who's fighting for a podium, if not for the win. Uh, yeah, to leave them like this is... It's just unbelievable tough. So I needed a few days uh, at home. I, I had to leave the team Im- immediately to travel back home to Switzerland. And obviously I do follow the Giro. I follow what's going on. I... I still, I still feel with the with the mates who have to go through unbelievable hard stages, and they do an absolutely incredible job. Um, with the five guys left, they show a super fight and team spirit, and it just makes me wish every day that I could still be in the in the race. And every day I see I see the news uh, about Damiano, and it just yeah it just leaves me it just leaves me at home with with a really really bad feeling and uh it's not an easy time actually to yeah to be at home to see to see the team going so strong and wishing to be there as well and um hopefully i can yeah give something back to them in in the future and be again in a, in this team until then i'm getting ready for swiss hope to show uh yeah hope to show something uh in my home country that was gino mader and um, brian we're looking ahead to tomorrow's final real stage sunday's time trial of course it's unlikely to decide things at the moment although you know that I, could I change i think there's a good chance that they will decide maybe not the winner of the giro but how the rest of the podium oh, I will look like we've got to be focused on those uh, minor placings as well haven't we yeah, certainly well, the podium it's the not podium. a minor place to be podium in the giro Richard. <laughs> that's true that's true um what are we like to see tomorrow there's three big climbs um the the last one it certainly isn't as tough as today so uh, i mean uh, you know what 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 are uh, uh, caruso we don't think he's Gonna go all out to I try think and we're win gonna see I mean, there's, there's, for me, there are two scenarios. Either there'll be an early attack from. I mean, I'm talking isolated on the GC. There could easily be a, a breakaway, not for the stage win, I think, but there, there could potentially be a breakaway. I think there'll be either a big attack, which includes obviously Simon Yates, but it has to be quite. It has also almost to be 40 kilometers out, because if Simon only attacks on the last climb, it'll be for the stage win and not for a shake-up in the GC it's I've, unless Bernal cracks in a completely different way he's shown weakness I think calling it a crack is more the symbolism of, of the pink jersey on the shoulders of a climber not being able to follow attacks he's shown weakness he's not he's not cracked but if Simon wants to win the Giro it's not it won't just be because of him attacking early it'll be because Bernal has a horrible day so there'll be two scenarios either he'll attack early and try and, and do a massive turnover of, of events or he'll try and put pressure on the last uh, climb very much likely uh, very much like what he did today I mean Yates obviously a very impressive winner today but I, I still don't really detect in him that the sort of form that he had at the Tour of the Alps before the Giro or at the Giro in the first couple of weeks of 2018 race I don't see that same that same zip in him I, I think he you know okay it was a very tough climb I mean when you went first of all those I mean those are completely different races with a, with, with a yeah I think so uh, and there's nothing new in that rich and I like you all the same <laughs> I 
when you look at the competition and when you look at the level of, of the racing comparing Tour of the Alps to, to the Giro, I, I, I don't really think that applies. I'm just judging it on how he looks, really. I, mean, on the bike I think he looks fantastic when he's, when he's doing it, the on danseuse on, on the steeper parts of the climb. You can, you can see you know, one of the best climbers in the world. Banal was struggling, Almeida was struggling, and he's able to drop everyone. And if you do that and then you win one of the hardest mountain stages in the Giro... I, I think you you, you kind of have to tip I, your head a little bit here. Yeah, just yeah. Okay, I'm I'm sort of, as I guess what what I'm judging it against is is the Giro's capacity to uh, turn the apple cart upside down and and to really, uh, you know, not for him not to gain just thirty seconds on on Bernal, but a minute or a minute and a half. I, I, you know, I'm I'm looking for something out yeah, of this world yeah, because that, I mean, that's kind of what the Giro has produced. But I think it that's not down to the. The level of the effort that uh, Simon Yates wins the stages by—that's—it's only. I think you're looking at it in that prism because of the time he lost early on. Because when you saw the Giro last year, you would go into the last day, the, the time trial, with a very, very marginal difference between the leading rider and the second one. So, hadn't he lost that time before, and had he been very close to Banal, I think you would have evaluated his the exact same performance in a different way. I think you're probably right, Brian. He's ridden a pretty good race overall. Erratic, though, you know, and that's still a, a bit of a puzzle. Uh, yeah, I think I, I think it's also impressive, and it, it it says a lot about his maturity now, this part of his career, that that he still, you know, he, he takes it on his chin, and he actually tries. I mean, he he said also to you, I believe, that he didn't feel that great in the first part of the Giro, and he's still able to come back. And he's, I think, the the mental strength and the team effort that takes, I think, that's extremely impressive because he is. He's not lost the plot, and he's he's clawing his way back up on the podium, and he's, he's he won a stage, and he's actually dictating important parts of the race together with Almeida. I think that's right. I mean, I agree with that. That that you know, Daniel talks about the difficulty of turning the turning the oil tanker around once it's heading in a certain direction in a Grand Tour, and we've we've seen that at this Grand Tour, Almeida being another one of a rider who has. Uh, you know, for for whom things haven't gone that well, and it's very easy to then get into a, a negative spiral. Um, Especially for you guys. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> but to to claw your way out of that 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 kind of hole. Yeah, and, I'm, uh, I'm, I guess I'm being harsh. I just think you have to isolate what he's the, the what he's been capable of doing in the second part of the race, and I think that's that's yeah, extremely yeah. impressive. And it, it takes that. a lot for for Bernal to be shaken by someone on a climb. I mean, he's still he's still leading the bike race, and he's still quite likely to win the Giro, and to be able to drop him. You, you can't do that unless you're one of the best riders in the world. And Simon has proven that, I think, in this part of the Giro. Well, we uh, we await tomorrow's stage. Before that, Brian, where are we eating tonight and what are we going to be eating? Well, we're eating... Uh, I think there's a good chance we actually might end up in the same restaurant as Patrick Lefebvre because I think I found a good one. So we're eating just a little bit further up uh, on the lakeside here. It's a it's a nice, easy stroll uh, up there. And so I think if we, if we start... Down the equipment Our reservations in one minute. Do you think we'll make that? It's Italy. You can always be late. Great. Excellent. And I'm looking forward to tomorrow night. We're heading to your old stomping ground tomorrow, aren't we? Yeah, I'm going to show you something very special to know tomorrow in terms what of... I promise that. Isn't it? Italian didn't get this from, from Daniel. Well, <laughs> I can only do my best. <laughs> Thanks very much, Brian. Uh, we'll reconvene tomorrow night. And, uh, well, we're looking forward to tomorrow's stage. And... Uh, We'll be back tomorrow evening. Thank you very much. Thank you, Richard.
who I called uh, Cepeda. Cepeda, is that how you say his name? Cepeda. Isn't it Sepulveda? Is it Cepeda? Cepeda. Cepeda, yeah. I called him Alexander Cepeda. It's Jefferson Cepeda. Can you swap it, swap in this? Jefferson Cepeda. Jefferson Cepeda. Jefferson Cepeda. 